All right, I think we're live. Welcome everyone to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am Carter and I'm joined as always by the bad mamma jamma. Hey, Carrie, say hi. Uh-oh, I do not hear you. Oh wait, can you hear me now? Yes, I do. Okay, great, sorry. Thanks guys for being patient. Um, we're a little late, a few minutes late. Shower, dogs, kafefi. Shower dogs, kafefi. All the important things in life. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, if it's your first time here, uh, Deprogrammed is a show that we do weekly where we talk about my old belief system, the SJW ideology, and we do it live. And Carter and I were talking this morning about how we've been doing it for almost a year. Almost, I think in one month it will be a year since I last talked, since I first talked to you uh, on this. I guess it wasn't called Deprogrammed, but it was the first interview with you. Yes, it's, it, and we will post it in the um, description, but it was called um, something like Chat with a former SJW. So Carter interviewed me for Unsafe Space, and then from that we, we thought, oh, there's a lot here to talk about with this belief system. Why don't we try and untangle it? week yes. by week. And here we are. But it's a good time. I think, Kara, we've had a lot of subscribers in the past year. And I don't know that everyone has heard your story. Not only do I want to have, I don't want to just rehash your story, but as we, you and I were talking about, your perspective has changed even in the last year. It's not that, it's not that you're suddenly out of the SJW cult, it's that it's a continual process and still kind of lots of self-discovery happening. And you were saying this morning that some things that you said maybe even a year ago, you might not believe today you've moved even since then. Yes, it's continual. It's that it's this thing about, um, we called this waking the woke because as I was saying to Carter, it, it occurred to me that woke, which SJWs, they're, you know, claim to be woke, um, woke is a past tense. It's a verb that's in the past. It means you're done. You've learned everything and you have the correct belief system now and there's nothing more to learn. It's like, it's, it's like a dead word. I'm woke. I'm done. Right. Finished. Yep. And um, I think that's why SJWs can come off as so arrogant and uh, full of it because they think they've, they know, they do think they've discovered the truth and they do think that's the end and these are the, and now it, then it becomes for them just about memorizing the tenets of the ideology it's very important that they know what they can and can't say there's a lot of things you can't say which is why that uh, belief system is a, is, is a lot about there's a lot about censorship and self-censorship but um, awakening is present tense awakening like waking up that's something that's continual and it's happening and it doesn't stop because there's always more that you don't know and there's always more that you're learning and discovering and you're not, you're not bound by the fear and you're not bound by these, um, uh, like the mantras that like you are in the SJW world. You're not bound by like, these are things you can't say or do or explore. Yeah. And, you know, something that's interests, I think both of us, but I'll say, I'll speak for myself something that's particularly interesting is understanding how you got out of the social justice ideology and started to question things. And also, as we've talked in the last year, we talk a lot about trying to talk to other people and how, how do we get, how do we get them 
out of this <clears throat> cult. I mean, for lack of a better word, it is a cult. And I think we've discovered a few things, Carrie. Um, first, oh, but thank you. Someone just super chatted oh my us. Gosh. Yay. It's, it still amazes me that people give us super chats. I know. Thank you it, so much, Shungu. I, oh I want to uh, I want <laughs> to have to give you something for it, like ask a question and we have to answer. But I but thank you. <laughs> um you. Carrie, so some we've we've learned a couple things. And I just want to rehash a little bit for people who are new and maybe we should get into, you know, just a high level of, of how you left the social justice cult. But one thing we've learned is it's not about I guess this won't surprise people who are into rhetoric, but it's not about facts or information or argumentation. There really needs to be some personal emotional change that opens people up to be able to even hear any counter arguments. And one thing that you and I talked about, I think just two days ago was this idea of the social justice ideology being very externally focused rather than being introspective. And it was when, it was when that introspection started to happen in your life that suddenly you started to question a lot of the ideology. Can you just, for people who haven't been around for a year, can you just do a, a quick overview of, you know, your background and then how you, like I've, how yeah. you left? How did you leave social justice? I've gotten hopefully better at our, our explaining it more quickly because um, I've told it a few times now in interviews. But yeah, so I was, uh, I would say I was indoctrinated into what I, what I call SJW ideology. People call it other things. Um, it's If you hear people talking about intersectionality, critical race theory, um, third wave feminism, if they're talking about, it, it's, it, all of these things are part of SJW ideology. It's, it's um, Marxism, but it's an identity politics-based Marxism. And instead of being, so it's postmodernist and it's Marxism, which is weird, but it's, it's those two things are married together. Um, and it, it, it's and can, like, can we, can we, right. so we, I just want to, how would you say someone can identify an ideology that fits into that category? Because I don't. So, well, so it's Marxist in that um, it's, it views, it's a way of viewing the world and, and telling, telling people that the best way to view the world is as um, it's all a competition between groups. And, but instead of being based around class, it's based around identity and power. So it's based around all these continually um, uh, multiplying identity groups. And so they, they determine, they define power based on what groups you're in. They don't define power based on your individual ability to, in, to to apply force to something or to change something. They define power as simply what groups you're in. And, and they're obsessed with power. They're obsessed with power. They worship power. When an SJW dies, they say rest in power. <laughs> they don't say rest in peace. It still cracks me. Um, I kind of feel like that's a thing from a fiction book, but it's true. It's true. Um, but so yeah, they're obsessed with power. And so the you they they put when you see someone talking about like making everything about race or sex or sexuality and viewing everything through that lens, you're probably talking to an identitarian. Now they might be an identitarian on the right. It might be a white supremacist or they might be an identitarian on the left, one of these SJW identitarians. Um, and so I, I, did that answer your question that like the best way to- Kind, kind of, of I, I, w I wanted to, maybe it was a leading question because there's something that 
occurred to me as as fundamentally different because I've been arguing with Marxists my entire life, basically. But something that's new about this particular version of, and by the way, we're using Marxism very loosely. It we're we're really talking about collectivism philosophically, and it's tied up. But like a lot of these things are related at that philosophical levels. But Marxism is a good kind of example uh, system that's based on this stuff. Anyway, I, I, um, I think one of the defining characteristics that I've noticed is a ref a, an outright rejection of personal judgment and reason being standards of conversation. So you can have like in the 30 years ago, you could talk to a Marxist and they would disagree and argue with you and it would be frustrating but you could have the conversation and they wouldn't fire you or try and get you or try and get you fired or treat you as an outcast or call you a Nazi or disengage. They would actually want to be having a discussion because they really believed in the in Marxist ideology and they they really believed that that was better and you could have a discussion with them. What's happened? Obviously, the Marxists lose all of those discussions when they're based on reason. That's my personal bias showing, but they lose all those discussions when they're based on reason and evidence. But what has but happened when, is- I, I think I know what you're about to say. When you marry it to postmodernism. Yeah, so yeah. So what's happened is like, yes, when you marry it to postmodernism, it gives you an excuse to reject the epistemology of reason, which is really the only commonality that we can have. When we differ in desires and opinions and views of the world, the thing that unites us, the thing that allows us to be a culture without killing each other is shared epistemology. We can say, well, we're all going to make appeals to reason and that's going to be the standard by which we have conversations and make decisions. And when you remove that appeal to reason, you end up with the Antifa. You end up with, we're going to beat you over the head with a stick and pepper spray you. That's, that's our response to your argument. And that's something that I think is, it's not new but the prevalence of it is newer and it's something that unites these groups. When you talk about, uh, oh, it's the third wave feminists or these people or these people or these people, the thing that unites all of them is this rejection of reason epistemologically outright. And this just assertion of this is the way it is. And if you're not this ad hominem, ad hominem, ad hominem, no attempts to engage in dialogue. Yes. And if you're not this, if you're not an SJW, they view you as evil. That's why it's also like a, a cult or a religion in that this is a um, it's not just a way of looking at the world for them. This is this is uh, about morality. And you you have to be you have to be a part of this belief system to be moral. And if you don't, if you reject it, they don't just view you as wrong or having a different belief system. They view you as being evil. Yes. Yes. Um, and then and then it's OK to it's okay to call you any name in the book that, you know, if it's you okay to do anything to you, it's okay to also. do anything to you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because they do, they do believe in, they, a lot of them won't admit this because they don't, but they, 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 they let's just say they don't believe in the non-aggression principle. Right. They're, they're okay with violence if they feel that the object of that violence deserves it. And They're absolutely okay with violence, and the way that they get around it and still stand on their moral high ground is by 
just redefining terms. So one of the things you have to understand about the all these ideologies is they are master manipulators of the language. So they redefine terms constantly. We've talked about racism and sexism, like they redefine all this stuff. But one of the things they redefine is violence. So they will literally say, Carrie, well, my favorite Halloween costume of, I think maybe anyone has ever worn was your Halloween costume where you had the shirt with the front said, your words are violence and the back said, your silence is violence. And it's, that's, they, they, they will use they language to manipulate. Yeah, they say both of those things, and I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I went as an SJW for Halloween. I highly encourage all of you to do it. We should put on, we should put a little SJW costume thing together and put it on the unsafe space. We website. should. <laughs> we should. So um, let's get back to the, to the story though, because we've we've sidetracked you. Okay. So okay, so that's the, that's the ideology. I was indoctrinated in college. Um, I had been raised Southern Baptist conservative family. Um, and I, but I left that, I left my concern, I left my um, religious beliefs. I left God basically. Um, and, and that took a period of three, about two to three years. That was a major uh, transformation for me too, because obviously I've been raised in that since I was a child. And, um, but I started think, questioning things and saying, I don't really agree with this. And I don't agree with this. And I think this is homophobic. And I think this is sexist. And I think, you know, and, um, and so over a period of time, I slowly moved away from that until I became, by the time I was freshman year of college, I think it was like, I, I, I decided I was agnostic. And so this took the place of religion for me. That's how I can look back and say, oh my gosh, like I was actually a very religious person for the past 20 years. <laughs> it was just, I was, my religion was this belief system though. And so uh, and I worship power without realizing, because that's what it's about. It's about redistributing power. Like the way that Marxism is about redistributing wealth or socialism, socialism redistributing wealth. It's about redistributing this perceived power among groups. So elevating people based on what group they're in and pushing other people down based on what group they're in. Um, so, oh, actually, really quickly, I don't want to derail too far, but uh, Shungu says... Um, this is a great point. He says, SJW ideology is enticing for people who feel disempowered or have envy for those who are seen as successful. It really took over on university campuses in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. But it is really attractive to people who want to stew and live in their resentment and their envy. Um, I'm, I'm glad he mentioned that because what I want to get into on this show is the psychology of this a little bit. Yes. Uh, not that we're experts, but we've learned something about it not being about facts and you have your own psychological story. So mm -hmm. continue about how, yeah. how did you, well, okay. I, it's not that Carter came along and gave you great arguments and that's how you left the cult or anyone. How did you leave the cult? Yeah. So, so um, I was inducted in college. It became my life's pursuit. It was the way in which I, I viewed everything through this lens, which is what you're supposed to do. Um, I, I stopped being intellectually curious I stopped reading as much. I still read, but not like I did before. Um, I wasn't in pursuit of truth. I was in pursuit of being correct and stating this correctly and changing the world. It's, it's big about like, you need to go out and convert other people. Like you're a missionary. You need to change the world and bring people over. And so I made a career out of um, pushing my ideology through, I represented comedians and um, not all of them, but a lot of the comedians I represented shared my ideology. And so it was attractive to me to work with work in comedy that had this ideological message and to use laughter to kind of spread this belief system. So that's what I did. And then I was in it hard. I was a true believer 20 years, right? 
And then what happened was, yes, it was an emotional, it was an emotional thing. Um, there were two things that happened. It was a personal crisis in my life. Um, you know, I had separated from my ex-husband. Um, I was contemplating divorce. I didn't know who I was anymore. There were a lot of reasons for that, but I, I just kind of like, what, who am I and what do I want? I was going through all those tough questions, big questions anyway. But at the same time, I started, something hit me emotionally. I was watching, um, I went down, I went down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos of people on the left attacking Trump voters. And it just shook me emotionally because I had not seen that before. And I'm like, well, this is people who are presumably on my side doing this violence against people. And this is, this is evil. This behavior is evil. And so um, that happened. And then, and then it was a series of things after that. So that was the first one that I recall, but there was just after that, it was, a, there, there was the, the shooting of the Dallas police officers at the black lives matter rally and people in my SJW echo chamber kind of uh, celebrating that quietly. Um, it was sort of seen as like, this is, who cares? They're cops, you know, and there, that affected me emotionally. And then just one after the other, I started, my mind started opening up a little bit. I started questioning things because if I could be wrong about, I had been told and I'd been reading all what we call the blue cathedral, all, all the legacy media who tell you the way the world is. And I, I trusted absolutely. And, you know, the New York times is, is unbiased and CNN is telling the truth. And I totally believed all that. And um, I believed that, that most of the violence during that election, that campaign season was from Trump voters towards people on the left. And it wasn't. Once I saw those videos, I started looking for videos of the other and I couldn't find nearly as many. There were a couple of instances, but not like that. I didn't find videos of Trump supporters in a mob chasing down leftists and throwing bricks at them and causing their head like I did the opposite. So when you realize you could be so wrong about something and it's an emotion, it makes you emotional that you're wrong about it. I think that opens up a little window where you're like, well, what else am I wrong about? So I mean, I have a lot of questions. Uh, okay. <laughs> first, first I've, so I've been thinking about this. So you and I, let me, let me, let me throw out a proposal and, or a proposition. And I just want to spitball with you on this a little bit because we don't know, but you and I, we interviewed uh, Dr. Gina Gorlin recently, and she talked about the idea of uh, cognitive integrity versus self-deception um, versus basically being kind of disconnected, like three modes of thinking, Cog cognitive integrity is where you're uh, kind of consciously choosing what to think about. Um, Self-deception is like consciously choosing to not go deeper or think about something like evade. Um, and then you can always, obviously you can be in like automatic mode where you're, you know, focused on some task and not really thinking in that moment what to think. Um, but I also was thinking about how, so there's this idea in self-esteem of, so, so one of the fathers of self-esteem is this guy, Nathaniel Brandon. I, this is a great book, by the way, I actually can see, I actually, read uh, there's like tabs i'm not normally a book tab person but i read this book a lot and and he was my therapist for a little while before he died um and he so he's one of the the fathers of kind of modern self-esteem and he, this book is called six pillars of self-esteem and the very first pillar of self-esteem uh and granted this is his theory but the very first pillar is the act the practice of living consciously and you know i thought about that in context of our conversation with gina and i thought well 
that's kind of what being in cognitive integrity, having cognitive integrity is. It's living consciously. And then I was trying to think, if you are in a any cult, perhaps, but at least the SJW cult, what you're not doing is you're not reinforcing to yourself the idea that your apparatus, your cognitive apparatus has efficacy, right? Like, so one of the, one of the ways we gain self-esteem is by, is by feeling the sense of self-efficacy, knowing that our brain, which is our primary tool of survival as humans, right? Our brain is how we survive. If you start, if you, the more you use your brain in a way that validates its functioning, the more confident you can become and the more self-esteem you have. Like, oh yes, I, you, you can watch it in kids as they learn like, oh yes, I can move my feet like this and walk. Oh yes, I, I can, I'm able to pick up the fork and put it in my mouth. Like they start to get confidence when they do things and you can see the joy in learning how to control things and how to, how to use their brain to figure stuff out. And, it, and it, you can see the self-esteem effect. It's this reinforcement. Jordan Peterson talks about this too in the first chapter of uh, the 12, 12, 12 rules for life. He talks about uh, the, the lobster chapter, but when yes. you, do, when you do things and you succeed, you're, you get serotonin. And so this is, this is all compound. It's like yes. compound interest. So you get more serotonin, then you're more likely to, to succeed at the next thing and you get more serotonin. Right. Right. Positive so, reinforcement. So this is, it's part of our self-esteem is this like, reliance on our cognitive apparatus as sufficient and capable of dealing with the world and bringing us the things that we desire and keeping us safe. But it occurred to me that if you're in a cult, so you've described the social justice way of thinking. It's not, you know, they're very against thinking for yourself and coming up for with a, uh, a conclusion by yourself. It's more about memorizing the right things that you're supposed to say and it occurred to me that that means that what you're doing is you're actively practicing uh, evasion. You're actively practicing not using your mental apparatus. And Correct. I'm wondering if that has a negative effect overall on your self-esteem because you, the less you use it, the less confident you become that your brain is capable of helping you survive in the world, right? That's kind of how that self-esteem cycle works. And so... If if you're not if you haven't used it for a while and you're relying on the secondhand nature and you're trying to get these rules right and you're constantly evading, it could be really scary to have someone come along and say, no, 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 use your own judgment because your judgment isn't something you've learned to rely on. You're kind of scared over your own judgment. Your self-esteem or at least your sense of self-efficacy is very low because your sense of self has been basically annihilated by this this cult, which is one of the things that makes a cult a cult, right? It's it's getting rid of that self, that sense of self and, and making you a member of a group. And so I'm wondering if it's particularly difficult to just come yes. along and say, turn that apparatus back on and use your judgment. Can you talk to that a little bit? Like how confident did you feel in your own judgment? It's a long-winded question, but. Um, well, yes, this is, it does affect your self-esteem. I because you're not like well like you said i don't want to just repeat what you said but yeah you're <laughs> you're you're not you're not using your mind to the best of its ability and you are just speaking tenets of an ideology and you get corrected and then you learn the new tent like like i gave this example in the video yesterday but you know if and i've seen this happen tons of times where an sjw online would say something this is a quick example you know i love elizabeth warren she's my spirit animal that's something people said for a while to mean 
it was just a, a, a culture thing that was going around that meant like, I really liked this person or thing, or, you know, coffee is my spirit animal. And then you would get slapped down and told, you can't say spirit, you don't say spirit animal, you know, that's um, offensive to Native Americans. And then, so then you file that away. Okay, I'll never say spirit animal again. And then you, and then you, <laughs> and that's what, that's the way it works. And then or you say like, uh, that's really lame. And they're like, lame is ableist. Never say lame again. You're like, oh, you file that away. Okay, I'll never say lame again. And it's, you're, you're basically collecting all the things you're allowed to say or, or not allowed to say. And then you're collecting the things you're supposed to say. So you also have things you're supposed to say. Um, they, they tell you like, if you are, okay, so if you're in th these groups, they put you in these identity groups, they divide them all into a binary. There's the marginalized and there's the privileged. And then they push, they ramp the language up a bit. And they, they also use, um, they also use the words for marginalized, you're the oppressed and the privileged are the oppressors. Um, and they use those words, uh, they just swap them in and out. They, they, yeah, they, just to be clear, those aren't interchangeable linguistically, but they are to social justice warriors. Yes, they're interchangeable to social justice warriors. And so um, if you are in the, uh, the privileged or oppressor groups, then you've, you are basically, they called you, and, but, you've, but you've adopted, you've been converted, you've you know, had your come to SJW moment. <laughs> Then come, could it be the come to Jesus moment? Because I, I yeah no come to SJW moment. And then once you've done that, now you're expected. You have to confess your privilege. Okay, it's like confessing your sin. You have to confess your privilege, and that's why you see these athletes and actors and stuff doing this publicly because you have to publicly confess it to show that you're now part of the belief system. And then you have to go forward and as an ally, you're called an ally now because you're an oppressor. Um, allies like a, like a man is an ally to women in this movement or a white person is an ally to black people or a straight person is an ally to gay people, right? So as allies, you are required to go into these spaces and speak the belief system so that the marginalized people don't have to. And they, and they call this, they say this is because the marginalized people shouldn't have to expend emotional labor, okay? Because they're already so oppressed and marginalized that they shouldn't have to do this. So it's your job to go in there. That's why it's so weird, but you'll see like that group on Facebook, um, White Nonsense Roundup. It's white people who go into other people's walls and tell other white people why they're racist. <laughs> right. and, and so, and the same thing with men, they expect men to go forth and preach this to other men. It's really, and, that, and that's why it's really, not to go on too much of a tangent, but it's really funny when you get like a woke, male SJW preaching this and you're a woman who doesn't believe in it. And then it's their head explodes because they're, they're, they're speaking on behalf of you. So you don't have to do the emotional labor to speak it. And it's like, wait a minute, are you speaking for me though? Are you right. mansplaining to use your language? Like, I don't believe what you're saying. So um, anyway, that's uh, the, the question about self-esteem though. Okay. So yeah. So you're, you're just learning what you're supposed to say, like the preaching and stuff you're supposed to do and you're learning and you're continually learning what you can't say and you're not allowed to think that's not thinking that is so that how is, confident are you in your thought capability? you're not you're not confident and i mean in my experience i'm a lot more confident today than i was just like four years ago when i was still in this because it's like when we talked about beto on confetti this morning so it it's not out yet though, but like Beto, I think looks so uncomfortable to me. And I think part of it is because he's 
acting. He is doing what I'm talking. You're watching a person who's a bad actor. Like some of them are good actors, but you're watching a person who's a bad actor, sorting through all the stuff he's supposed to say or not supposed to say and trying to pick the best things. And I think that you can, it's interesting to me to watch him physically. He looks uncomfortable. I don't think he has high self-esteem. I was going to say he doesn't appear confident. No, he does not appear confident. And you know what? Say what you will about Trump. I didn't vote for Trump, but um, the guy is confident. The guy doesn't, he is not sorting. He doesn't have some internal censor who's like, what can I say or not say to, you know, he just says what he thinks. And I think that's what some, one thing that people admired about him, the people that voted for him is that like when they, I didn't understand at the time when they said he's just being himself. I'm like, yeah. And he's a, he's a buffoon. Why would you want to, but what they meant by that, I think was he's just saying what he believes to be true. Right. Um, so if you've got this going on in your head and you've got you're you're not feeling confident about your ability to think it becomes I can imagine it's very difficult then to have to be asked to make an independent decision about something and have someone yes try okay, and pull let, you out. Let me give you a great example. So a year or two ago I I do this thing called civility dinners with people from all different belief systems come together. We have dinner, we have discussions. We went to see Jonathan Haidt speak at, um, he was speaking at a local college or university. And um, we went to hear him speak. And in the Q and A at the end, they had these students who came on to ask him questions in front of the audience, right? And one of, in, in the course of talking to him, one of them was a white woman. She was asking him questions and, and he turned the question back on her. And he said, well, let me ask you this. Should Heather McDonald, now Heather McDonald is the one who wrote the book, The War on the Police, The War on Cops. Mm-hmm. And just like a lot of people who engage in quote wrong think, people who don't subscribe to this ideology, she is not welcome on most college campuses. Like she's been met with mobs of people. They've tried to shut her down with violence and with mobs and with preventing you from going into the venue to see her. These people are all about control. Right. And so anyway, he, that was in the news at the time. And he said, should Heather McDonald be allowed to come to campus and give a lecture about her book. And this student, it was so uncomfortable. The whole audience was like, because this student is up there struggling and you're watching it. She's like, well, I think she should be allowed to, but, but, but some people might find that her speech harmful. And so, um, yeah, yeah. She was like, yes, but no, but yes. And she was literally trying to, I could see her looking out like a deer in the headlights, trying to pick the correct answer. Now, well, she's looking for sympathetic eyes to tell her what to think. She's looking out at her peers. What that is, what you're watching is, is secondhanded self-esteem. She's looking out at the audience going, when I kind of lean this direction, what's the reaction? When I lean that direction, what's the reaction? She's hoping that she can sense the room and lean the direction that will get her the approval she needs. She's not internalizing the question. Right, and also because I think her thinking brain and and she's talking to this really intelligent guy who's his light is on. To, <laughs> that's the way I use it. His light is on and he's awake. He's awakening. He's, she's talking to this guy who just gave a whole lecture about the pursuit of truth versus um, ter- at colleges, the pursuit of knowledge and truth versus turning people into activists who go out and preach. Right. Yep. So she, and, and she feels a bit of empathy with him probably because they're sitting together on a couch on a stage and they're talking and she wants to probably please this professor. And so, and, and her thinking brain is saying, well, why just based on this whole lecture we just heard, why shouldn't she be allowed to come and speak? Right. 
but that's what she wants to say. That's what her brain, if she would allow herself to say it, that's, that's the conclusion she's, she's arriving at. That's what reason, that's what reason leads her to is that yes, she should be allowed to speak. And if you don't want to hear her, don't go hear her. And, but instead of, she couldn't say that because her internal SJW sensor is thinking through all the trouble she's going to get in possibly for saying, you know, what if I'm called a racist? What if they say, you know, what if there's something she's, what if the, you know, so she's like censoring herself. And it was so sad to watch this person who's at a university to watch it in real life, like this internal conflict between the part of her that wants to think and the part of her that wants to like put her mind in a cage. So let's think about this for a second. Think about how intellectually debilitating that must be constantly to have that program running in your head constantly worried about that. And it, I think what it means is in the social justice world, the people who rise to the top are the people who are the least bothered by yes. the fact that it's a farce. Yes. Those are the people who are like, yeah, this is a lie. But, th- but they have, they can keep going because they can use their brain. They know damn well what they're saying isn't true or they're, they know they're just manipulating the crowd or they're manipulating other people. They're not, if you're actually in it um, and you feel, if you're not one of the people who takes it, uh, who, who understands that this is just a farce, it's actually very difficult to rise to the top in in the social justice world. But if you are, if you get that it's a farce, you can use, you can, you can disconnect those things and you can be like, oh, I know he asked me a question, but I know what the right thing to do is. I, I may think the right thing, but all I'm thinking actually is how to manipulate people. So I've already, I've already come to the conclusion, what the words I need to speak yes. to get to my manipulation, my next manipulation goal. So the ones who, yes, the ones a lot, often the ones who rise to the top are the ones who are not true believers in the sense that they're not like sincerely, they're not against oppression. They want to be the ones oppressing. They want to amass power for themselves. And, well, and they're, not, they're not handicapped by this. Right. And, right. and they're, they're, they, are, they want to amass power for themselves and they are, um, they are able, this ideology is a great way for them to do so, especially if they check off any of those marginalized boxes, because what this ideology does is it says the world is this way. And, but then, it, but then, and, and they say, and that's why we justify pushing for it to be this other way. And so within right. this belief system, it's the exact opposite of what they say within this belief system, the more of the marginalized boxes you check off, the more power you can amass. And so that's why it's very attractive. And, and, and if you have, like, I have a friend who he jokes a lot about reparations. He's like, if I were, if I were a more, um, if I were an unscrupulous guy, like I could be making some serious money off these white people. Like, like, because if I didn't have any scruples, you just use it as you see all these people and you see people doing this, holding these unlearning toxic whiteness workshops and you know, all this, all the, this, this girl I was talking to the other day, she goes to some, racism anonymous group i'm like wow like this is an industry right and how, by the way how much self-hatred do you have to have to go to a racism anonymous i just i just don't i think that's yeah, no, it's it's uh, but but this is interesting right so it means be, because you have because you have this debilitating handicap of not being able to use your own thought process or your own your own judgment 
it does allow the more Machiavellian people who don't have that handicap, who see it for what it is, to rise to the top because it's debilitating intellectually to, to, to function like this. Yes. And the ones who rise to the top are often, so, um, so Jordan Peterson has a grad student, um, um, uh, Brophy, I believe is her name. And she did a study about the difference, the, the, the types of people. So she, they basically divided it into, I'm going to put it in layman's terms. There's two types of SJWs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. They're the ones who, and, and they call them PC authoritarians and PC egalitarians or PC liberals. So the PC authoritarians um, in this study, they found um, they have authoritarianism in common with authoritarians on the right. They, they want to control you. They want to be in control. Um, they are, have lower verbal cognitive ability. They're not as intelligent. Um, and they have a high disgust sense or a low disgust sensibility. They, they, they get disgusted more easily. Uh, the same, the same with authoritarians on the right. So that could be like a thing about like germs, but on the big picture scale, it could be a thing like, um, being disgusted by the other, right? Like that's like, like racism or you don't like, you don't like white people or you don't like black people or you don't, it's, it's, you have a high, uh, or a low disgust sensitivity, whatever. So anyway, that's the PC authoritarians. And then, oh, and, and they have a, um, they have a link between PC authoritarians have a, um, uh, it's correlated with having a mood or personality disorder self-reported mood or personality disorder, which is interesting in themselves or in their immediate family member, like their mom or dad. Um, and then on the, and then on the PC egalitarians, the PC liberals, that group is, um, they're the ones who I believe are more sincere, right? Like, and they, they, I, this is just me putting my own thoughts onto it. Mm -hmm. Brett Weinstein talks about the it, same thing. He says, there's two types in this movement. There's the tools there's the tools, which I view as the PC liberals, PC egalitarians, and there's the bad actors, right? That's PC authoritarians. In my mind, if I'm rough, roughly breaking this into these two groups, the PC liberals and egalitarians, they have a higher verbal cognitive ability. They're more intelligent. They are the ones who are expected to, the, these people, the bad, bad actors, the authoritarians go out and speak all this nonsense and do a lot of times horrible things. They commit violence. They, they right. uh, support censorship. And then these people are expected to articulate the reasons why this is okay. They're the ones who have to try and figure out how to put this in into words that people can accept. Like, okay, right. we accept this because you've now explained it to me. These people don't feel a need to explain what they're doing. Right, they're, those people are, <laughs> they're the propagandists for the, the authoritarians, right? Yes, they are articulate mouthpieces. Yep, yep. Uh, interesting, you know. But, Just as, but, as an aside, whenever you have a system that worships power and and uh, vilifies reason, you, you will get the most unreasonable and violent person to rise to the top. That's yes. that's who wins that hierarchy game, guys. It's uh, Stalin wins that game and yes. he shoots you in the end. Yes. That's that's how that works. Look, they're still, they claim that all hierarchies are oppression. They believe hierarchies are oppression. All of them, that all right. of them, but, but they are, they have their own hierarchy. Yes. Yeah. And they're, and they don't understand that the person who's going to win that hierarchy on their, in their camp will wipe them out as competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, I wonder if this is, I tend to, I don't know that this is uh, 
I haven't seen stats on this. I'm, I'm making an assumption about, you, you know, extrapolating from my experience, but I think a lot of people would agree. I think engineers tend to be uh, less likely to be in social justice than like humanities type people, for example. And I'm wondering if one of the reasons for that is, you know, if you are an engineer, you are, you, because you actually have to build something that adheres to the laws of nature and functions correctly in the world, you're constantly needing to use your mind, your own mind to make decisions and judgments about reality and you're needing to use reason. And so you've got that, that little bit of reinforcing of the, the efficacy of your brain self-esteem wise is, is kind of constantly churning because that's what you're doing for your day job all day long. So when someone comes along and says, hey, you cut, you know, your mind is not capable our reason is not valid. You have to fall in line with these tenets. It's it's much more shocking and and less appealing because you've already got you're already kind of relying on your brain on a regular basis in general. Whereas in the humanities, a lot of times it's about manipulating people, and reason isn't always the right way to manipulate people. In fact, rarely it is. So you're you're much more vulnerable to this this idea that actually your reasoning mind is not, you know, you just shut that off and, and obey. And you don't have the reinforced uh, sense of self-efficacy because you're not normally using your, your reasoned mind as much, your reasoning mind. Yeah, so I, this is interesting to me. I tend to agree with you. And of, of course, there's always outliers to anything right so but but and I, I just want to bring one of those up because I think it's very interesting and anecdotally a friend of mine who is I would say has like the engineer brain he's a and he um used to work at Google and is developed like genius mm-hmm. and he is one of the he, after the election like I, I we went in different ways and mm-hmm different paths. Like my path was trying to figure out why Trump won and what did I really know about anything? And um, his path was like, he became one of the wokest SJWs I know. And I think even though he's got that engineer brain, uh, I think part of it is that they, they can still be converted, especially if they're in an environment where everyone around them has this religion. So if imagine you're working at Google, which is has already been overrun by SJWs, right? That's, right. that's, that's, it's been converged upon. And you are in all of the oppressor groups. You're a, a straight white male, successful, successful, lots of, you know, um, a, attractive. Um, you, you check off all the oppressor, so-called oppressor boxes. Right. How do you survive there? You have to convert and you have to be the most vocal, woke, right missionary you have to be the biggest missionary to survive yeah well, and yeah, i don't clear, i don't think i was speaking in general oh, oh i totally know i just wanted to offer because you i i agree with you on the generalities but it also i it made me think of my friend i was like that's so interesting that yeah. he converted to such a degree but um but look well, I right. have, he probably I have, has to in that environment yes you have to and i don't even think you consciously are like oh what do i do to survive it's just you're in that environment and that's a it's it's human nature you're you know, um, so I just so you know, I have to leave in like 40 minutes. So I do want to address, um, I, w- I do want to talk about because we talked about like, how do you wake people up? And I don't, uh, I got this, I got this um, message on Twitter. That, oh, and I, yeah. 
So I got this message yesterday. I get messages like this a lot. I've been, I even had, you know, I've had people email me this like, Hey, my girlfriend is an SJW. What would you suggest she reads or whatever? I'm like, so this guy goes, I enjoyed your session with Zuby. You mentioned a few times that you have SJW friends. You said they even tried giving you an intervention. Have you had any success in converting those closest to you in the same way you used to convert an entire message board. Cause I used to be an SJW on this message board, like preaching this stuff and converting people um, in the same way you convert an entire messaging board. Or do you think that this sort of awakening, you use that word, this sort of awakening can only happen by yourself. Um, I don't think there's any like how to book on if you watch these videos or read these things, you're going to wake up an SJW. Um, but I do think um, it helps if you have, like you were saying, Carter, it helps if you have an emotional connection to the person because then they're naturally have empathy for you. What were you saying before we started this podcast about cutting off an arm? Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I so we we talked a little bit about this prior to the show, and when you have someone in your life who you're close with personally, maybe they're a spouse, maybe they're a girlfriend or boyfriend, maybe they're a brother or sister, maybe they're just a close friend. When you have someone that's close to you, um, the cost of treating them as you would treat a stranger when the stranger says something that you that that violates you, the, the tenets of social justice, treating them with the same disdain and and ostracizing them and cutting them off has a real cost to you, right? If it's if you're kind of partially merged with someone, it's like, ow, that's like cutting off my arm. Uh, like that that would hurt. I need to find another way around this because this is horrible and 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 repulsive what they're saying, but I can't cut off my own arm. That's gonna hurt. I need to figure out a way to deal with this. And the way to do that is to have empathy. Like that's what comes up immediately. It's like, well, I have empathy for this person, right? I I know my mom or my sister or my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, I know he or she doesn't, I know, I know they're good people because if I, if I make the assumption that they're an evil person, that hurts me too, because here I am intertwined with them. And like, I, that's a traumatic, painful thing to say like that person's evil. So I'm, I'm going to lend you some empathy that I wouldn't maybe lend other people. And once you've got that empathy, then you have to start listening. And I think if you if you have a relationship where you've got that mutual en uh, empathy, it's actually very hard to have the hardline social justice stance with that person all the time. You either end the relationship or you open up to this idea that people can have differing opinions and not be evil. And yes, and I, I think um, here's a great I have had some success to answer that person. I have had some success and it's not necessarily because I'm like going out into the world, trying to convert people. Like I used to do as an SJW, that was different. That was, that was like indoctrinating people that was going and spreading. These are the things you should believe and speak and the things you should not speak. And let me give you all these, let me give you all this stuff you didn't know so that you can memorize it and you can go speak it too. Right. That's what that was. That was indoctrinating. Um, the people that I, that around me who have kind of stepped back a bit from SJW beliefs have it's not because it's not because I'm telling them what to think <laughs> like that um, or what not to think. It's just like you open the window a crack for them, like the You're telling them to think. Yes, it's like you disagree with me, but like think if you have if you have a 
a lot of times we, we've talked about this before, but SJWs, they repeat opinions that are not their own. And not just SJWs, lots of people do this. And, and I didn't realize I was doing it until I started listening to Dr. Jordan Peterson talking about not telling a lie. And also not telling a lie means not speaking opinions that are not your own. And when you start noticing that, you don't even notice you're doing it half the time. And when you start noticing that you're doing it and like, then, then you stop you stop doing it or you try to stop doing it. Then you, you see how many people do it and they do it to an, an insane degree because they're, it, they've been told they can't think, right? So things have to be, they're not allowed to think in this belief system. Things have to be made radioactive to them. That's why um, there are certain sources, there are certain people um, that they believe you cannot associate with and you cannot, you cannot read and you cannot watch. And so they will just spout opinions like, Milo Yiannopoulos is a blah, 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 or, you know, Mike Cernovich is this, or Carrie Smith is this, or, you know, and, and, and then if you say, well, well, what, what, well, let's, let's talk about it. I disagree with you. What, what lecture specifically, so we can get specific and talk about what lecture are you talking about or what book or what passage or what did he say? They, they haven't, they don't get to read the source material. They just parrot the opinions that are told to them by the legacy media and by their SJW circle. And so what I'm saying to SJWs is, you can still disagree with me. That's, I actually, that's great. Then we get to have a conversation and um, that's interesting, but, but, but have a reason, like ha have it be your opinion, go do the research. And if you still believe that way, then great. Now you can defend your position. Um, and so I'm not telling them what to think. I'm saying, think, yes, think <laughs> like form your own opinions. Don't speak other people's opinions. That turns you into a puppet. It turns you into a zombie, it turns you into a parrot. Like somebody said in the comments, yes, they parrot opinions that are not their own. They do that a lot. Um, so uh, I, I feel like I'm ranting a bit here, but I wanted to say one other thing. So I, the more that you start to speak your, your opinions and to, um, and to pursue truth, and to get past the fear of doing so, you got to get past the fear first, right? If you're, if you, but once you get past that fear and you start doing that, it's it's like a, it, I I think sometimes that Jordan Peterson turned my light on for me, and Jonathan Haidt and Brett Weinstein, a lot of different people, but Jordan Peterson maybe and Eckhart Tolle, weirdly, the power of now, which is about living consciously, which you said yeah. earlier. I'd, I was reading Eckhart Tolle at the time, uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith, I was going to Agape, all these people, but the, my light was turned on. And then I started like voraciously trying to figure what, out what I thought about stuff. I was reading again. I was interested in stuff I hadn't been interested in before or, or that I hadn't been interested in for a long time. Just like, it's, it's amazing. It's like you want, there's not enough time like I want to go back to school and I want to do, you know, there's all these things I want to do. And like, I, I'm not, I don't regret studying women's studies and all that, but I look like there are other things I would like to study now. And so um, anyway, when you do that, then just naturally by you being more authentic in the world, you will turn other people's lights on and then they will turn other people's lights on. And so my friend, one of my friends said this to me that, that she's the one that used that analogy. She was like, she said, you turn my light on. And she ended up at the time when she started talking to me, we were just like work acquaintances. We had been work acquaintances and she came out to me because of my opinions were changing and I was speaking differently. And she came out to me as a closeted Trump voter in, <laughs> in the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. Right. And I had no idea she, you know, what, who, who she voted for or anything. And she's also in a bunch of like a different marginalized groups. So she's way under the radar. Right. <laughs> 
So she um, was saying at the time, she her, she was losing her voice physically, and 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 then it, she started to think it was relate. It was like psychosomatic or something, like related to the fact that she felt so silenced. And and in her workplace, her boss and everyone's always saying stuff about Trump voters and just assuming that she agreed, yeah, and and just trashing. And so finally, she started to get her voice back. It took a while, like with me, you, these things take a while. But she finally came out to her boss as a Trump voter. Wow. But, I mean, I think of it like in the days when gay people come out of the closet and and we have you and I have talked to Mike Carlo and others who I know a lot of gay people who are wrong thinkers who say, hey, it was much easier to come out of the wrong thinker closet than it was to come out of the gay closet. Much these harder, days. much harder, much harder, much harder, much harder to come out of the wrong thinker closet. Yeah. But just like coming out of the closet, it's like you you humanize yourself. So now her boss is like all this stuff she believes about Trump voters, right? Trump voters are this and they're that and then. But wait, but you're you're a Trump voter and I, I like you. <laughs> right. Right. So anyway, no, I, I think it sounds like the essence of, I mean, really the essence of getting people quote out of the SJW cult is, is really about enabling them, inspiring them and helping them to think on their own and use their own judgment. And that's going to be a very scary thing for them because their own judgment is not something they've been relied on they've been relying on. It's something that they're afraid of because their own judgment gets them into trouble. So it seems like one of the things that I like to ask in situations like this is what is someone getting out of it? So if you know someone who is in social justice, they're, they're doing that because they get something out of it psychologically. They're, they're getting something out of it. And I think in order to, you know, you can't just start throwing facts at them because they're not going to listen. You've got to, they've got to be open up. They've got to be open emotionally first. And I think to do that, they've got to see that what they're getting out of adhering to social justice personally, what they're selfishly getting out of it is less than what they could get out of something else, like thinking for themselves. They need to see that like, oh, actually this, there's the, the grass is greener over here. I can feel better. I mean, were you happy as a social justice warrior? That's a great point. Um, I no, I w I wasn't. I mean, you know, there happy happiness is a feeling, and it's you you have it sometimes. You it comes and goes. And, sure, sure. Um, but uh, compared to now, no. Uh, and I definitely didn't have my purpose. wasn't I, I had a purpose, but it wasn't fulfilling like the one I have now. And and it it was it was like false. It was empty. So. Right. I had a friend ask me um, recently if I'm happier now than I was, like compare on a, on a scale of one to 10 or whatever, now versus when I was an SJW at the height of what, for people looking from the outside, looking in saying, what was my most successful period? Like I was pro executive producing a late night show with Chris Rock who would start one of my clients and had other clients find writing for it and was living in New York for a bit and like, was I happier then or now? Oh my gosh, it's like not even close. I'm so much happier now. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm happy every day. You, you know, you still have emotion, but in, in terms of being content and at peace and, and, and content to know that I'm on a, a purposeful path um, and that I don't know everything. And that, and then I, it's so exciting. There's so many things you can learn and there's so yeah. much, um, 
there's no you take yourself out of that prison that's like being freed from a prison it was well you're not afraid to think anymore and use your own judgment yes and um it's exciting like it's i don't know it's so different that's why i tell people sometimes so i get the people who come to me or will write me and say like how do i help wake up my sjw friend or girlfriend or whatever but then i get people who write to me and say um like they don't agree with sjw ideology a lot of liberals write to me but see this has taken over the left and it it pretends to be liberalism to a degree it pretends to be progressivism it's not either of those things um, but but they are afraid of it and they're afraid of speaking against it. And they're like, I, do, I don't I'm too afraid to even hit like on your videos or hit like on your posts. A little tiny thing like liking something might have me ostracized. Right. And what what I say to those people, and I've said this since we started doing this, you I don't know how to tell you how to get past that fear. But I just want you to know that when you do, it is so much better on the other side. I don't know any I've met lots of former SJWs in the past year. I don't know any who regret getting over the fear and leaving it's like it's just none who would go back yeah well i mean i think one of the fears is social ostracization and they didn't you know they don't want to be ostracized and they i mean look if you if someone's afraid to think for themselves and all you do is come along and say you have to think for yourselves but yourself but you don't you don't give them and you don't show them the grass is greener like there's no there's nothing there's nothing to gain from it other than what you'll stop yelling at them about being a social justice warrior. Like that's but, a, that's a small gain. Right. So if you can show them like, look, if you got these people in your life and you show them, look, just try a little bit of it. One conclusion on your own and talk to me and I'll introduce you to some other people who will not get upset at you for having even some people who disagree. You can see, Oh, it's okay to think something. And actually Carrie disagrees with me, but she's not calling me, a Nazi or ostracizing me for it. She's we're still at the civility dinner or whatever it is. We're, we're still, we're still interacting. They, I think they need to see that using their own mind will not cause everyone in their life to throw them away. And it will feel good to be able to draw their own conclusions and have discussions about it, even if it's just a little thing. But I, I really think that coming along and asking them to, to, stop being a just social justice warrior without without replacing whatever it is they're getting out of being a social justice warrior is just not going to work yeah i let me tell you what you will get <laughs> you will get this brand new car janet no <laughs> you, um, you, everyone's got a car look under your seat <laughs> um you you will get okay you're gonna lose friends yes i lost friends right but they're friends in quotes let me put it that way you learn, Brandon Tatum said this, uh, we did an interview together um, once on Gavin McGinnis's show uh, about walk away. And Brandon Tatum was like, no, but you're learning who your real friends are. And I often joke that SJWs don't have friends anyway, they have allies. So they stop, you stop being their ally, who cares? Or they stop being your ally. Right. <laughs> like, or they have comrades. <laughs> they call they each do, other. They have a lot of comrades. They do call each other comrade. Um, so you're gonna, you're gonna lose some friends but in but the, you're going to make, you're going to, first of all, you're going to find out which of your friends are real and those friendships are going to become stronger, especially if they still disagree with you. I have some friends who I haven't lost who still disagree with me. And I think our relationship is better now because we, we kind of, we, we trust each other enough to have the back and forth. Right. Um, but then you, you, you also are going to make a lot of new friends and a lot more interesting friends and real friends. 
who are not friends with you just because you're in the same cult and you share the same belief system, um, who challenge you and push you. And like, I've met so many interesting people since I walked away from SJW yeah. belief system. And so you're going to find that. And you're also going to get, it's like, like opening up your mind to all this stuff. It's you it, suddenly everything's exciting again. It's, it's like your, your light is on. There's, there's life in the world. You're, everything is not this doom and gloom and we need to, you know, the world is an awful evil. Like they believe in a really bleak world. They, be, they have really, they're kind of nihilistic in a way. They, the world is evil and it's a white supremacist patriarchy and people are naturally evil and have inherent bias, you know, and they're inherently racist and sexist. And yep. like, that's an awful view of people. And once you get past that, it's like, things are, I don't know. It's just so much more beautiful. Someone used the word envy in the chat earlier, and I think there that there's no better word to describe a lot of this mentality. It's just it's just envy at because you know no one has things that are always going well in their life. There's always people with something better or something that you are envious of, and it it really feeds it really really feeds on envy that mentality. Yeah, and and so I want I will say something else too. If you're talking to SJWs in your life or whatever, and um. I'm at my best when I can talk to people in love and I am not always at my best. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm the worst version of myself and that is not a good time to talk to them. Um, <laughs> but when you, when you can, when you're in that good place and for me, it has a lot to do with my new beliefs. Um, some of, some of my new beliefs. Um, you look at someone like Daryl Davis. I wrote about, I, I mentioned him in my very first essay when I first started leaving the cult. He's the guy, he's the black guy who's befriended and pulled 200 people out of the clan just by oh, being yep. their friend, right? That That is the kind of love that I'm talking about. And so one way to do that is um, you don't, you don't want to, when you talk about if you if you talk about their ideology, because you probably will, because they'll probably be trying being a good missionary trying to share it with you. Here, let me tell you about the new definition of racism. Is you know they they try to teach you these things. Yeah. And um, so if you are disagreeing with them about their belief system, like make make it about them and not about them as a person. Like I try and do keep make sure I say like the I believe this this ideology is evil, but I don't believe the people all I don't believe let's say even half, I don't believe half the people or a lot of the people pushing it are, are evil. Um, they are pushing something evil and they, because they think it's good because it's been sold to them as good. And that's something good because you can t appeal to their good heartedness. They are doing it because they have good intention. You know, Carrie, you reminded me of something you said you had a lot of friends reach out to you and, and I, you know, after you wrote that essay and, you know, when we look at, I know from the outside, everyone looks at Silicon Valley and they all they see is Google manipulating votes and Facebook and like all this horrible social justice stuff. And that is true. Uh, by and large, the Bay Area is a cesspool of social justice ideology. However, what I learned when when I started to speak my mind on Twitter and basically burned bridges in Silicon Valley or, or you know, made myself unemployable by starting this <laughs> show, um, I was surprised at the number of people who came out to me privately and said, oh, you know, I totally agree. I just, I'm afraid. And I just want to tell you, like, if you're in your own personal psychological hell because you're self-censoring, you're not alone. 
for all that that person in LA that you were talking about that was worried about coming out of, of as a Trump voter or whatever, for all she knows, there's several people there who also feel that way at her place of employment. Some of them might even be parroting some of the stuff on the left because they're afraid. People are afraid legitimately. And you're not alone. You're not alone. There's lots of other people who are in a similar psychological hell. And I think I do think the tide might be shifting a little bit, but I will say if you have the courage to to come out and it, I, I'm I'm not even saying don't even, you know I'm not saying come out as a conservative or like you don't have to be any of those things. Just come out as someone who's trying to use your own independent judgment sincerely. That's it. Uh, yeah, you might you might get ostracized by a few people, but I think you'll find that there are a lot of people who will um, look up to you for that. You'll get admiration, and people will come and ask you for advice, and they'll want to befriend you, and you'll you'll build a new friendship circle if you if you need to. Yeah, and then you'll be the one that people are coming to privately and saying they're afraid, and how do you get over the fear, and then you'll turn their light on and they'll turn someone else's light on. That's, that's, um, I don't know. I think, I think I like this episode already. I, okay. Can I, can I, can I read something to you? You made me think of, I forgot about this essay, but as we were talking about it, it came back to me. I, this was maybe my, I don't know, second or third essay that I started writing when I was trying to leave the belief system. This is two years old now. I can't believe this. I wrote this in October, 2017. And it's called talking with SJWs or anyone with whom you disagree. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this, at the beginning I did this, uh, I, I put this Eckhart Tolle quote. I told you I was reading a lot of Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Said, uh, anything that you resent and strongly react to in another is also in you. And what you react to in another, you strengthen in yourself. And I, I try and keep that in mind a lot when I talk, when, when, when I'm trying to tap into my love instead of my anger or my hatred of this ideology when I talk to people, because uh, let's say you're talking to someone who's behaving hatefully towards you and calling you names, right? If you, if you start behaving in the same way, if you start calling them names back, you're just building that thing in you now. Now they've, now they've turned you into part, so they've infected you with it, right? Like, so you can't like let their anger, so you're, you're going to get mad sometimes in conversations, but don't let their behavior provoke the same behavior in you. And then it strengthens that in you and it turns you into hypocrite. Um, and that, and yeah, that- I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not totally against, ad hominem is not an argument, but it's also not a sin. Like no, if someone's but- being a jerk and you call them a jerk, that's that doesn't make you a bad person. That just makes you frustrated. It's not the best way to convince them, uh, but yeah. Um, well, so here's I'm just going to list three points that I put in this. Okay. Essay. Okay. So, and I'm talking about yeah, it's not a great, good way to convince them. And we're talking about waking the woke, right? Yes, yes. I so, just want to be clear. Yeah. Right. If we're talking about waking the woke, don't be a friggin' hypocrite. You you should model the behavior that you are. If you believe that this is the like what you're saying is. If you believe in what you're saying, and you should, you should mean what you say and say what you mean, then <laughs> then you have to model that. Otherwise, you're not giving them any roadmap for anything different. If you're saying, oh, all you're doing is name calling and engaging in, in ad hominem, you idiot, and then you do it back. 
<laughs> then well then what's not you're not giving them an alternative so anyway uh here's the here's the list i put uh compassion empathy and love are all things that must be continually exercised and then i was talking about like it's like physical exercise you can't just go to the gym once and be like oh so just because you are successful one day in loving your enemy or being compassionate in a discussion with someone who's being a jerk to you doesn't mean that you have to it's still you have to exercise that muscle every day you don't suddenly have it you're gonna fail again right you have to it's like going to the gym you have to keep doing it you have to keep practicing it and I really like this quote from Michael, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith. He said, um, love is meeting someone where they are, but treating them as though they were where you feel they should be, where you think they should be. And that just really, that's amazing. That's exactly what it is. It's like you, you treat them, even though they're over here and they might be behaving horribly to you in the conversation, you treat them as though they're over here, right? You can point out what they're doing. It doesn't mean ignore what they're doing. Um, take your ego out of your interactions. Like you don't need to be right. And, and also, um, gosh, okay. This is so important for SJWs. SJWs, their, their ego is tied. Their identity is tied to their, their, these opinions that they parrot. Their identity is tied to their ideology. And so that, by the way, that's a consequence of rejecting reason as an epistemology. It's a necessary consequence because when you reject reason, then the conclusion matters more than the method. The, yes. What should matter is yes. the method. Oh my gosh, you're right. That's, yes, it's exactly it. It's, there's no method there. They just have the conclusion. Right. And so they, so a lot of times I think they engage in ad hominem, they engage in personal attacks because they can't tell the difference between a personal attack and a criticism of their opinion. If you criticize their opinion or their ideology, they take it personally, emotionally, they, they receive it as a personal attack. If you say you're so, so already, even though you're trying to be very clear and just, uh, just criticize their ideology as evil, or I don't agree with you on this, they hear like, they take it as a personal attack. And so they come back at you with a personal attack because they can't tell the difference. So you should be able to tell the difference. Like take your ego out of it. If they disagree with your opinion, it's just your opinion. They're not, it's not, has nothing to do with you. It's just your idea about something, right? Like it's not who you are. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I've mentioned this before, but it reminds me, I, when I, uh, when I taught founders, our early stage founders, I ran a couple of accelerators for early stage founders. And one of the common problems that they would have is they would, conflate their self-esteem, their own personal identity with their idea for their company yeah. or with their company. And it makes it impossible to run your company because when someone criticizes something about your idea or your company, or you get negative feedback from the world about your company, you get hyper defensive and you can't pivot and you can't make the changes to succeed because all you're doing is defending because you feel like you've been attacked personally. And it's yeah. like, no, you're not being attacked. The idea is bad. Yeah. Fix it and move on. Like it's, it's <laughs> yeah, this is not, this is obviously, this is not just unique to SJWs. Anybody, this is a human. It happens all the time. It happens yeah. all the time. I just, I, I think it's very prevalent in this belief system, but I, I did want to disagree with someone in the comments. I just saw somebody said, Christians are similar, tying their ideology to their identity. So when you criticize their religion, they take it personally. Um, I don't take it personally. I, I mean, I'm a new Christian, but I, I Carter's an atheist, you know, uh, I don't. Some, he, some Christians do. But some do, yes. Some, some Christians do. Uh, I think one of the things, though, that I learned from Dr. Rachel Brown in our discussion with her was a distinction between Christianity and a lot of other re religions is that uh, Christianity, because they were focused on the Christians historically were focused on um, 
convincing, converting people through missionary works rather than through conquest. Um, what, what often resulted is they would need to cultivate empathy for belief systems and uh, other cultures so that they could communicate and try and convert them. And so uh, I think historically Christianity has been much less self-defensive. Uh, there's been a lot of less, there's been less defensiveness and kind of irrational defensiveness than a lot of other religions. For example, if you tell a Christian, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in, I don't believe in God, they're less likely to want to murder you than if you tell a Muslim that I'm an atheist and I don't believe in Allah, <laughs> right? That's, that's a very, there's a big difference between those. And I'm not saying it's not all Christians. There are some, you know, I grew up yeah. in a house just to, you know, agree a little bit with what this person's writing. I grew up in a house where if I had said an atheist, I'm pretty sure my father would have murdered me and hid the body. Like I, I'm like, it was a granted I had a crazy childhood, but like there are Christians who are like that. Oh, but, absolutely. And I've but met not I've all met, of them, but not all of them. And it, yeah, it's, and like, like uh, Kiara says, this quality is common across all belief systems and even something as dumb as a sports team. Yes. <laughs> yes. People do knife my, each other in the UK over, do. over oh, football. The, the LA Dodgers, they beat people up on the, like, they take it as their identity, their sports. It's crazy. And yeah. Well, but, but this is actually, but this is all related because the reason that you want um, tribal inclusion or you, you, you take your identity to be your beliefs is, I think, fundamentally um, because of some shaky self-esteem issues you've got going on where you're not, your identity is not uh, built on your own personal path and achievements and think and actions that you take and habits and what you're trying to do with yourself. It's based on adherence to a thing, right? I identify as part of the group that believes X. And so like, it's, I think they're related actually. It's all the way related back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. One Good other point about the amygdala. I, you know what? I started reading about the amygdala. I, I have a lot more to read wait, about the amygdala. Wait. It's an, a fascinating it's a fascinating part of the brain. Well, read, read that comment for anyone. Listening. Oh, sorry. Uh, it says your amygdala lights up when your brain sees somebody it considers other, even somebody with the wrong sports team apparel. Um, yeah. Yes. It, and it does. To, go, to go back to what we were saying earlier, authoritarians, whether on the right or the left, it probably lights up a bit more. <laughs> they, they have yes. a bit of a, a bit of a disgust issue. Well, I um, think it is tied with your identity, right? It's, it's, right. yeah. So there's this other, so here's one other, here's one other thing I put in that essay about talking with SJWs or anyone who disagrees with you, cultivate some epistemic humility. You don't have to be right. You probably aren't right about a lot of things, right? Like, and there's this Bible verse I really like Proverbs 18 two. it's um, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. <laughs> like, don't be a fool. Right. So many of these people are like, they don't want to, they don't want to, um, understand I, I sometimes it's worth we've talked about this before sometimes it's worth talking online with sjw's if there's other people if there's an audience because you can reach some of those people who are afraid maybe of pushing back or you can reach some people who believe in certain tenets but aren't like fully bought in um but but then there are other times where conversations just aren't worth it like there's one guy i'm thinking of in particular i i don't waste the time because he, he doesn't 
like a good conversation to borrow from Peterson again. I think, I think he's the one I heard say this once a good conversation is one in which a little bit of you dies. <laughs> like where, where, Oh yeah. Yeah. If, if you're tying, if, if he's, he's kind of intrinsically tying ego to belief uh, right. in that which, statement, which is not healthy, but, but that's what we were talking about. People do that. They do tie yeah. ego to belief. But so if you're a good conversation is one in which um, I'll, I'll just, I'll just try and, articulate this myself or what I believe is that one person you're, you're trying to understand each other better. That's the whole point of conversation. You're trying to articulate yourself in a way where they can understand you more clearly and you're trying to understand what they're saying. And if you can't, you, you ask for more clarification. And if they ask you for more clarification, you clarify so that you can understand each other. There are some people who you will talk to who just like they're not thinking, they're not actually having conversation. They won't, they're not there to listen to you and understand you better and they don't try to make themselves easier to understand. So a lot of SJWs, we've talked about this before, but almost all of their magic words are used so that they don't have to explain themselves and they don't have to help you understand because they can't. So if, if you say, well, where'd you get that? Or they will call you a troll. They will call you a sea lion. If you ask them questions, um, they will tell you to check your privilege. They will say they don't have to do the emotional labor. They will say, it's not my job to educate you. <laughs> they will say, but right. there's all these roadblocks so that they don't have to make themselves more understandable because they're not there to have conversation and they right. don't want to understand you better. And they don't want you to understand them. They just want you to convert and they just want to be right. And so yeah. you, you have to be different than that. You have to be, you have to have humility and be like, well, I don't know. I don't know everything. You don't. And 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 um and be willing to i don't know i think i think the only way to pull that out of some people is is you have to model the behavior that you wish to see yeah I, 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 a couple of things i want to say about that one is i just want to separate this is how i view this it doesn't mean it's necessarily correct but i want to separate online from in-person conversations if you're trying to actually pull people out of a social justice cult uh, I think you need to do it in person. I view my online activities as as selling weapons or giving weapons away. I'm just arming people with thoughts and and arguments and information to go use offline. You can use them online if you want to rearm other people. That's fine. But very rarely is anyone ever going to watch a video of ours from any social justice warrior is going to watch a video and go, I emotionally connected and now I'm converting. Maybe, but... <laughs> But likely what will more likely happen is we will arm people who have relationships, real life yes. relationships yes. with people. And that emotional connection is your wedge in to have to start having a conversation. And maybe you'll be armed with some more information or some ways to think about things in order to, to have that. So I want to separate those two worlds. I when, agree. You know, I'm a lot harsher online, actually than I would be in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone because I'm not trying to convince social justice warriors online. I'm trying I'm, to arm I'm everyone else. Harsher. Yeah, I'm also much harsher online. I get called aggressive. So, so the but the other thing I wanna mention is, um, you know, I, I like all this stuff you're saying about the purpose of a conversation and you might be wrong and blah, blah, blah. And we're trying to get to the truth and understand it. That's all great. I love it. It's what Western civilization is. I wanna point something else out though. That's unique to Western civilization. The reason I fight so hard against social justice warriors and frankly, Islam is that idea of mutually trying to reach an agreement through reason and understanding 
is not universally accepted. And what is at risk is a civilization that has been built upon that idea partially is at risk from ideologies that are coming in like the social justice ideology and saying, screw reason, we will beat you up if you disagree, we will call you a Nazi, we are not interested in communicating with you. That is an existential threat to our society. It's a huge, huge threat, which is why this needs to be fought tooth and nail. It needs to be fought, and, and by the way, I don't wanna be clear, it's social justice, but it's also Islam, and we don't talk about Islam a lot, but Islam is a vile ideology. It is well, a- you and I might disagree on this. I, that's I mean, fine. I, I separate Islam from Islamism or I, Islam from radical Muslims Islam. don't use the word Islamism. It's a made up word that Westerners use. Right, but, but that's I'm a separate issue. There's moderate, there's like, I mean, I have Muslim I friends who are- I say all Muslims are I know, I know, I know, I know that, I know. I'm just saying Islam, it's, anyway, we talk just about- Just like something. you say all social justice warriors aren't evil. I'm not right. saying all Muslims are evil. <laughs> Okay. But what yeah. I am saying is the ideology is evil. It's it's a it's religion tied up with authoritarian uh, statism. It's a, it's a it's not just a religion, it's a religion tied up with a political system. It's an evil, violent ideology. And it is not compatible with western values. It is not. In order um, for well, in order for it to be compatible, it needs to change. And the Christians did. They went through a reformation, the Christian church changed. It went through a reformation. I social justice is similar I just want to point out, like, this is all great. I do want to emphasize why we're fighting as hard as we are against some of this stuff, because this idea that you're, you know, we're talking here about how to convert people and you're giving some great advice about how to have conversations. None of that matters if you're sitting across the room from someone holding a gun who doesn't want to talk to you. Right. Okay. Well, I don't, anyway, to get last, last point I had in this article about talking with SJWs. And this is true for anything. And I'm not saying anything that's not common knowledge. It's just these things. Sometimes I think we forget things. <laughs> uh, fake it till you make it. That's that's big for me. If you don't feel love for someone that you're talking to, but you can fake it, and you will start to cultivate love for them. <laughs> I, you will. Um, Michael Bernard Beckwith, to go back to that, the pastor that that spiritual center I used to go to in LA, um, he talked about uh, putting a a picture of I think it was George W. Bush. He hated George Bush or, or whatever. He he needed to cultivate love for George Bush, and he's like, whoever that is in your life that you have, this isn't just about ideology and SJWs, but anyone that you have hatred or resentment towards, or put that person at the center of your prayers. This is what he was saying. So he put right. a picture. He was he had a place where he would pray, and he actually put a picture of George Bush, or maybe he was telling me a story about someone who did this or telling us a story. Anyway put a photo there and every day at the center of his prayers was this person who he hated and he prayed for him. And, and that's like, for me, that's, that's a form of baking it till you make it. You're praying for this person, even though you don't want to. And, and, and over time he lost his hatred. He came to love this person. And I, and I think that's, that's again, yeah. it sounds hippy dippy, but I've done this. There are per people in my life who I hate, who I pray for good things to happen to them. And then over time, that like that animosity melts away. Yeah, as an atheist, I, I'm actually I don't have a problem with hate. I think hate is necessary in order to feel love. Um, I think they're they're opposite sides of the coin. So if you get get rid of hate, you can't love. But I would I what's easier for me than trying to think about loving people that I'm opposed to 
is trying to have empathy for them because it's a less um, charged word. It's easy to think about like, okay, I can have empathy for them, right? Empathy you can have for everyone. And that might lead to the same kind of thing. I don't know, but that's just how I think of it. I think of it as like, okay, I can have empathy. Yes, I think a lot of stuff they're doing is vile. Maybe they actually are vile, but I can maybe, because empathy can lead to understanding. Even if they're never going to change and they're going to turn out to be Attila the Hun, I might understand what they're motivated by if I have empathy. Like empathy is useful. Empathy is very useful in understanding things. You you know, again, SJWs don't want to understand and, and, and they, they have the problem with like, let's say, you know, these mass shootings, let's take that for example. And I'm really fascinated trying to understand the psychology of why somebody could do something so evil and trying to understand it. But they, they view that as like, sympathizing with it trying to understand is like sympathizing with it right or even like talking to people like uh, my friend mikey and i got some flack for going on um gavin mcginnis's show because he's one of the people they've successfully unpersoned and wrong wrongfully labeled as a white nationalist and nazi which he's not and so they had this whole guilt by association thing where you can't talk to him and you can't go on his show or you're, you're now a white, you're a white Nazi sympathizer. You're sympathizing. No, by the way, if he were a white nationalist, which he's not, there's nothing wrong with me talking to him and trying to figure him out better. That's how Daryl Davis, who we talked about before, the black guy who pulled 200 people out of the clan, how did he do it? Not by avoiding association with them. He became friends with them. <laughs> right. Like, well, and they, but they only do it. They only are opposed when you do it. Cause CNN had Richard Spencer on. For God's sake. Oh, my former client had, who's a big SJW, had Richard Spencer on. Right. Yeah. So, CNN, yeah. Um, well, so, so, um, uh, one thing I wanted to answer in the, in the comment in the chats, um, Kiara said earlier about the word cult. Um, she was talking about the word cult and, and she's not sure if her interpretation is accurate or not, or I can't remember something. It was, it was a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. It, it is a cult. It's not like a cult in the way that we, we they all live together and, <laughs> <laughs> but they it's a cult and it's a cult of belief and and carter and i did a video which we can also link where we went through all the characteristics of a cult and we talked about is, is sjw ideology a cult and wow i mean i thought i knew the answer to that before i looked at the list but when you get down to the nitty-gritty of the characteristics it's just check 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 i forgot we did that that was a that was a fun video that was a fun one <laughs> it was crazy but it's true they operate they they, they control you with fear uh, they control you. This whole guilt by association thing. They cut off like an abuser. They cut off the people you're in contact with. They encourage you to unfriend people. Um, it's, there's a lot of those those characteristics there. Right. And you and you can't question. You can't say in the social. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Carrie, but you can't say in your social justice circles. You can't say, you know, uh, I've got some questions about this. Uh, I don't know. Let's let's pick a let's pick a topic. I've got some questions about this reparations thing, I'm not sure it's the right thing to do because what about, uh, you know, are we really responsible for the guilt of our ancestors? Like you can't, you can't sincerely ask questions. You'll get booted out. You'll get, you'll get ostracized. Um, So the minute you start asking questions, yes. If you're in the cult, what happened to me was I, I was in the cult after the election. I timidly started tentatively started trying to understand i was trying to understand why trump won and i was sharing things that i thought were nuanced and like hey what about this and immediately i had fellow sjw slapping me down because you don't ask questions and 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 they'll say like um i think it's your privilege that allows you to blah 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 
like be prepared for them to it's ad hominem you're supposed to feel guilty and ashamed and be like oh my privilege right what happens when you just express vulnerability and you say like well i'm you know i'm just trying to really sincerely understand and they call you uh they have words for that already prepared they do yeah well because i'm white or or they have or and a white woman they denigrate white women now they, they can say white woman tears, even I'm not crying, but if you express any type of white woman tears, white fragility. Um, so just saying you're trying to understand sincerely is, is fragility. If you say you're trying to understand sincerely, you are a sea lion. Oh, I see. That's, yes. that's one of their insults. It's like troll, but it's like someone who, a sea lion. It, it's funny. They come up with all these denig- supposedly denigrating ter- terms that they, to keep you from doing that. You're not supposed to ask questions sincerely. Therefore, we're going to come up with a word for when you do it. And then everybody can just point at you and say, sea lion. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's a great test if you want to know if someone is really a member of the cult. If you approach just sincerely asking questions and expressing vulnerability that you don't understand and you want to, and you get it called a sea lion or whatever, I think that's all the evidence you need. So I have to go to work. Um, This has been a good one. Is there anything else that you think we should touch on uh by the way yes they are a hate group basically they are a hate group Um, anything else i i don't know i mean i i think i don't think carrie we i don't we don't really have a solution for like this is how you awaken someone but i i would argue that it really really helps to have emotional leverage and have an emotional connection with someone for the reasons we talked about before and then you know, remember that your goal, your goal isn't to convince them about any particular issue either. It's, it's just to get them to start thinking for themselves. Even if they come to conclusions you don't like, if you can see that they're starting to think on their own, encourage that. That's what you want. You want, you want to shift their focus from looking out at the world to introspection. You want to, you want them to shift their focus from, I need to change everyone else to what about myself? What, what do can I, I really do, think? Right. What can I do to fix myself instead of trying to fix the world? Right. And if you can get them to start doing that, I personally, I think the rest flows. Mm-hmm. But you've got to, you, you've got to, if you can take that telescope and turn it around <laughs> or whatever, yeah, like the microscope, you, you just want, you want that focus into, which is why we talked about this the other day. It's why Jordan Peterson has like the make your room, make your damn bed or whatever it is. Not make, clean your, make clean your room and make your bed. Right. Yeah, so if you can get that, that's a step forward. That's I have a great anecdote about that. So um, he he basically is like, why are colleges turning indoctrinating its students and turning them into these eighteen year olds who go out with signs at protesting all the time, telling us how to run the world? You can't even make your damn bed. Right. Why should we listen to you on how to how to restructure the economy or anything? You can't even clean your room. And I just that was brilliant to me. I was like, yes, because I saw myself in that. I was I felt you know, embarrassed. That was me. I was out there with the signs and I was out there telling the world how to fix itself. And I was a complete mess in a lot of ways and needed to, you know, uh, uh, it's not just, it's not just clean. He does mean clean your room actually and make your bed actually, but it's also an, it's also an analogy, like clean your own room, make your bed, meaning like take care of your own, take care of yourself, get in better shape. Um, and so, I have, I have an anecdote about that. One of the most, the wokest SJWs that I know right now. And she, like my other friend I mentioned, she went this way after the election. Back when I was super woke, she wasn't as woke. And now she's like the wokest of the woke. She wears, she's the white person who wears the shirts that say white silence is violence. And she's always posting (laughs) 
pictures of herself at like with protests, you know, and super virtue signaling. This girl's house, this is just an anecdote and I'm not naming her. So I don't, th this, I was supposed to stay with her once when I got into town. Oh my gosh. That she literally, uh, she, she, she bought an entire new set of, um, of plates, of plateware and silverware and stuff and was bringing it into the house with me and my luggage. And I'm like, what's that? And she was like, oh, I hadn't done the dishes in a long time. So I threw them all away and bought new ones at Ikea. Her dishes were so disgusting. She threw them all away. I'm not talking about paper plates. She threw all of her dishes away. And then we get inside and her kitchen is just covered in disgusting, crusty stuff. Every I'm not talking about just the house that's messy. It was like a hoarder level. The floors are covered in cat hair just that like a carpet of cat hair that's pushed up into the corners. There's clothes, you're walking on a carpet of clothes and garbage and like the bathroom was, everything about it, it was like, I'm like, I can't sleep here. <laughs> no, uh, it's, it, it, the, it one, like, the one social justice person the, that I have been in their house, like the most social justice person who I've actually been in their house, same, same exact thing. Not, not throwing the dishes away, but probably would have. Probably what this was just, and I, I feel I, she probably does that over and over. She probably throws her dishes away a lot and buys new ones a lot because she just, the, the stuff is so caked on or whatever. I don't know. And I, well, I, I environmentally friendly. So I'm glad that she's, right. uh, she's not a hypocrite. Well, see, and see, look, I'm not, uh, you know, my place gets messy and currently all my plants in the front died. And I joke that my house looks like Boo Radley's house and it's a sign of a person with mental disorder <laughs> or disor a disordered mind that I haven't fixed my plants yet. But this, this was such to such a degree. It was like walking. I felt like this is a physical manifestation of a mental illness. Your house yeah. is a physical manifestation of a mental illness. And yet this person spends a lot of their waking moments outside of that house with protest signs and shirts telling white people that their silence is violent, other white people are silence, and like fit out there because she's got to fix the world. And like, gosh, get your friggin' house in order, like, and your mind, get your mind in order, because that's a disordered mind that you're seeing here in this house. Yeah, and and we talked about this previously, but it's it really is a it's a focus on external events and and fixing everyone else or getting the government to do something rather than just, you know, focusing on making yourself happy and productive and growing as an individual and self-growth is super important. We all have areas to grow in and it's more challenging than the most challenging protest that you can think of organized. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I find this stuff kind of funny. I, um, uh, when Jordan Peterson came to to town, I I was I was thinking about um, there there might be protesters there, and I think there might have been a few. But anyway, I was always thinking like it would be fun to go to one of these not not his talk, but to go to any of these protests that have these resist marches mm -hmm. um, with a sign that just says "Go home and make your bed." <laughs> <laughs> you would get shot, Carrie, but or at least uh, beaten over the head with a stick. <laughs> you're just like <laughs> um uh one last thing last final final thing because i do have to run um yep, yep. It's, it's what we've talked about before and jonathan height talks about this professor jonathan height if you haven't read his book the righteous mind you should he talks about you know like you said at the very beginning of this it wasn't a series of facts that anyone gave me that changed my outlook on the world um 
don't argue. I mean, you can you can back things up with facts, but you have to primarily speak to what Height calls their elephant. He's like, your emotional mind is an elephant. Your rational mind is the writer. And the elephant controls the writer. And he's like, you got to speak to their elephant first. So speak to their emotional mind. And yeah, the, the only clarification is the elephant controls the writer in the short term, but you control the elephant in the long term. You can program your elephant by cognitive integrity programs your elephant to be more in line with what your rider wants. But if you don't do that, uh, then they go in other directions generally. And you can't, you know, you can't do it completely, but that's how emotions work. They're, they're, they're kind of an instantaneous summation of all of your beliefs and, and how they relate to what you're seeing or experiencing in the moment. And if you change those beliefs, you can change your emotions, but it's a, it's hard work and it takes therapy and, and a lot of work. So yeah. um, in the moment, you're right. Speak to the elephant because yeah, if you don't, if you're not yeah. talking to the elephant, you're not talking to who's in control in the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. This has been fun. Thank you guys for joining us and tuning in. And um, if you Jerry, do you want to remind people of book club? Yeah. Book club. We're doing a live book club on, um, on Sunday, September 15th. And we'll be putting out a video hopefully about it. And um, we'll, the last one was great. We should repost that one. The, we talked about Brave New World last time. This time we're gonna be discussing 1984 and we hope you can join us cause it was fun. And yeah. I like hearing I like hearing from the people in the chat and video is super cool. Yes. Uh, oh, speaking of, uh, speaking of chat, we're gonna do Kofefi Live. I think we're gonna start doing Kofefi Live on, on Fridays. So tomorrow, is live Kofefi. Carrie, I don't even know what time. What time are we doing Kofefi live? Just tell me the time and I'll be there. <laughs> Wait, what's tomorrow? Friday, uh, the 6th. Uh, oh, why don't we do it um, 11 Texas time? Is that too late? No, that's good. So nine, huh? Because so, it's live. We can do it that time, right? Yeah, nine Pacific. So we're going to start doing Kofefi every Friday live. And the Friday Kofefi shows, we'll just have like a, I'm going to have the reason I want to do it live couple, two reasons. One is it's a, there's a list of like little topics that we didn't discuss during the week that we kind of want to maybe get to touch on. But the primary reason is there's probably stuff that you guys know about that we didn't talk about or that you want to talk about that we did and you want to bring up again or whatever. So we wanted to make it a more of an interactive, like end of the week live show. We kind of talk about all the stuff that happened that we, we missed earlier. So. Yeah. Um, okay. Got to run. This was fun. Yes. See you, see you tomorrow. All right. Later, Carrie. Bye everyone. Uh, thanks for watching. And, um, yeah, I don't know. We will, uh, see you next week for deprogrammed and tomorrow for Kofefi. Thanks.